Well, this morning um, we are on lesson three of how to grow. Uh, today's lesson is Bible intake one. We'll have two two sessions on Bible intake. Um, but just to recap uh, where we've come so far uh, on our how to grow equipping class, uh, trying to understand what we what we should do in the way of spiritual disciplines in order to mature in the Christian faith. We looked at biblical spirituality and sanctification. Um, we discovered that spiritual growth is available to those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit um, and that maturity is given as a gift from God, that spiritual growth from Him. That uh, spirituality is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a mystical or emotional experience. And that the progressive work of maturity in one's life is a result of justification, first of all, and then it continues until we are with Christ in perfection. So the way to grow is by exercising certain spiritual disciplines that are made available to us from God, but are outlined in Scripture. And that's what we're doing, is looking at those through the lens of Scripture. The second lesson we had was about how all of life is worship. And we've understood that you've got to worship something. Um, and, and that worship is where your emotions, your will, and your reason are fully engaged and energized. It is appreciation, adoration, affection, and subjection. But we also found out that worship, the object of our worship, should be God alone. And that if it's anything else, then that is an idol. Um, we had a few good questions uh, to kind of figure out whether something we are worshiping is uh, at, sort of prescribed by God. Um, and questions I found were very impactful for me were, am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Do I run to it for refuge instead of turning to God? These were good questions for me to understand whether I'm worshiping an idol or the living and true God. So that's one of my takeaways from that. Um, and we also found that worship is both individual and corporate, that we do it together. So just, I picked out a few topics that I, from Dan's class that I found very helpful. But today, we're going to look at the importance of Bible intake. So we, we looked and said that all of our spiritual disciplines is, are Bible-centered. Um, our right practice of all the spiritual disciplines flow from our time spent in the Word. It informs our praying, our fasting, our stewardship, our evangelism, our service, and the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit all comes from our knowledge of the Word. So as as Christians, we have a great advantage. We have an inerrant, completely sufficient revelation from an all-knowing and almighty God that sets down principles to live by. We're the only uh, group of people that have such an advantage, so we should take advantage of that clarity. Uh, God doesn't keep us guessing on how to worship and please Him. He's clear about what He expects. And his... 
He's clear about what he expects and teaches us ways in which we can grow. So I thought of an illustration to... I'm going to stop moving, maybe. All right, so let's think of an illustration. I want you to imagine trying to play a game without any of the equipment or not knowing any of the rules. That's almost impossible, right? But a clear articulation of the rules and having the equipment is helpful that the game itself has any kind of structure or meaning. That's the two things that we need. Uh, a game without boundaries or gu guidelines is just chaos. Let's do an example of this. So who here understands cricket? Yeah, I thought there might be a few, but the majority of the folks here probably uh, don't know much about cricket. So if I, if I said to you, all right, let's stop this class and let's go out to the nearest field and play a game of cricket. And if I told you I'm not going to be particularly happy with you if you don't play cricket the right way, You'd think that's particularly unfair, would you not? You would need me to give you the equipment to play it and the rules to play it by. So imagine if I gave you two bats, some stumps, some bales to make up the wickets, and a cricket ball, you would now at least be gifted with the equipment to play. But there would still be a missing piece. You wouldn't know the rules. You'd just be sitting out in a field with a bunch of equipment. So... I'm now going to gift you with the rules. Are you ready? This is the rules of test cricket. You have two sides. One out in the field and one in. Each man that's in the side that's in goes out. When he's out, he comes in, and the next man goes in until he's out. When they're all out, the side that's out comes in, and the side that's been in goes out and tries to get those coming in out. Sometimes you get men that are still in and not out. When a man goes out to go in, the men who are out try and get him out. And when he is out, he goes in, and the next man in goes out and goes in. There are two men called umpires who stay out all the time, and they decide when the men who are in are out. When both sides have been in, and all the men have been out, and both sides have been out twice after all the men have been in, including those who are not out, that's the end of the game. Is that clear? No? You still... How do you get in? <laughs> anyway, so that, just to illustrate, you know, that um, it, you know, having the equipment, being gifted the equipment, and, and having the rules is an extreme advantage of... Playing, playing the game. But, of course, the game of life is much more important than that, especially in God's economy. So, thankfully, we have been given the gifts that we need through the Holy Spirit. And we do have an effective instruction manual given to us by God, by the Almighty God, for life and godliness. It's inerrant, sufficient, and revealed to us by God, by a loving God. That's one of the important things about this is that Scripture is given to us by a loving God because He wants us to uh, worship Him in the right way. 
And he knows that is good for us. So let's, uh, let's look at some important truths about Scripture itself. First of all is that God gives us new birth through Scripture. The Bible is critical for the Christian life because God's Word is the, mean, the means God uses to bring about our new birth in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. So conversion always occurs with, in conjunction with the truth of the Scriptures, either being read or heard and then believed. What, do you remember what the gospel means? It means good news. The news about what God has done for us in Christ. And where do we learn about that? From the scriptures. So Christianity is a revealed religion. That's why the Bible is called God's revelation. It has been revealed to us from him. It reveals how God is perfectly holy and just. But it also reveals something about ourselves. It reveals our sinfulness. How we deserve God's righteous judgment because of our rebellion against him but it teaches us alternately also of God's mercy and compassion, that we can do nothing to save ourselves, and our only hope is repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. And then that produces the forgiveness of sins, because Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then after three days, he was raised again, according to the Scriptures. There's that repeated phrase we see in the New Testament. Um, the Bible encourages us to come to Jesus in whom we find life and joy and peace. Do you see how spiritually lost and listless we'd be if God had not revealed himself to us in his word? We can praise God that he has revealed it in his perfect word. Second truth about scripture is that God sustains us in this Christian life through scripture. Not only is it a sustaining word, but a nourishing word. If you look at 1 Peter 2 verse 2, it says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. There's that growing up word phrase again. The spiritual milk that Peter refers to here is the word of God. Just as an infant desires the milk necessary for growth, we should also crave God's word. A Christian's spiritual maturity depends on a regular diet of God's word. Our progress in sanctification depends on our Bible intake, how much scripture comes into our life and takes hold. We have that analogy, do we not, of God's word being that sustaining food and drink. And it's used over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture from Old to New Testament. Let's first look at Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. It says that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's also the picture of manna from heaven as well. It contains within it that dependability on the word of God for life. And then how about this one from Jeremiah 15? It says... Your words are found, and I ate, were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy 
and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Now I've been looking at this biblical theology of food as an analogy of the word. And I actually believe that God created us as beings that need regular physical nourishment through the intake of food so that we have a constant reminder of our need from spiritual, for spiritual input from the Word of God. And I think, you know, as we've seen, Scripture bears this out. Oftentimes when I'm saying thanks to God for the, for the food, I'm also thanking Him for the reminder at the same time. Just as we need a regular diet of food to keep us physically healthy, we should also feed daily on God's word for the sake of our spiritual health. Now that food that we eat three times a day in this Western world, uh, that satisfies us physically and it's just temporary. But we know that learning of God from his word has eternal value. And that's the difference there, even though the analogy is so strong. So another thing we know about the word is that we are washed by the word. And this is kind of the corporate aspect of the word. There's an individual element to it too that we should become immersed in the word of God. But if we as individuals are doing that, then the whole body, our whole um, body of Christ together, are together we're becoming sanctified by the word. Look at Ephesians 5, 25-27. It says, Husbands, loved your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So that picture of washing with the word, his bride, and then, of course, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, in John 17, he prays this for his followers. He says, sanctify them in, your, in the truth. Your word is truth. Very important concepts about how we as a body, as the, visible, as the, as the church of God, is that we are sanctified through the truth of the word. The second really important point is it says the, the word is truth. Some people skip past this, but it's really uh, significant that Scripture is described as truth itself. It does not contain the truth. It does not have some truth. It is the truth. It is truth itself. People spend their lives looking for truth. Truth seekers, we call them. But here it is in black and white, right in front of us. What an advantage we have there. So we see that Jesus' plan for corporate sanctification is through the word just as individual sanctification too. <clears throat> yeah. So point three here is preparing to receive the word. We are going to spend some time looking at um, ways to spend time in the Bible, but first uh, we need to think about how our heart is made ready to receive Scripture. And if we do these things, then we will truly profit 
from Scripture itself. So the first one here is to revere Scripture. We must have this reverence towards Scripture. It is God's Word. It is infallible. It is sufficient. It It is authoritative. Paul writes in uh, writes to Timothy, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, that's two Timothy three sixteen to uh, seventeen, and then Peter says. In 2 Peter 1, 16-21, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Skipping to 19, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone else's interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Scripture's authorship is human, but its inspiration is divine. So in those two passages we see that the Bible is both breathed out by the omniscient God and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if you want to encapsulate that into one phrase, it ain't no human book. So let's not approach the Bible in a flippant or careless manner. Rather, let's emulate the Christians at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13 it says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So please, accept it as the word of God. It is no equal in literature. When we open scripture, we're not just opening another ho-hum book of easy platitudes or a history book about Israel. We're receiving the words of God, so don't open it lightly. Rather, we should prepare our heart, no matter the time of day or the circumstance. Oftentimes, what I'll do right before opening scripture to read or study it is say just a short prayer of thanks to the Lord, just to acknowledge the fact that he's given us this revelation. Um, and then just ask him, Lord, as I'm opening this scripture, please do a work uh, within me as I encounter your revelation and, and use it to make me more like Christ. So I encourage you to do the same. So another uh, thing we can do uh, to prepare for the opening of God's word is to ensure that we have a humble heart and recognize our sincere dependence on God as we spend time in his word. We need to acknowledge that we're wholly dependent upon the Lord to illuminate the scripture to us. We know that apart from the Holy Spirit's work in us, we cannot receive and obey God's word. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, 
for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you remember our first lesson, definition of spirit, spirituality and spiritual? That means they are only discerned if you have the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119.33-34 says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. See, David's attitude there is that we need to be humble enough to know that we need God to reveal to us his meaning to us and the ways that we can apply it in wisdom. We've got to have God as our teacher. It's not through our own intellect and knowledge that we understand Scripture. Another way to be prepared is to have receptive hearts. Um, we need to have that um, good soil, that receptive soil, like in the parable of the sower. We need the, that seed of the word to be sown in fertile soil that it takes root and it bears fruit. It bears fruit that's pleasing to God. Let's be like the exhortation in James chapter 1, 22-25, that um, we are doers of the word, not only hearers. It says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man that looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the Bible not only instructs our minds, but should also transform our lives. The goal of Bible intake is to grow in conformity to Christ through a changed life. Any thoughts or questions about preparation for the word or the importance of the word before we move on to intake methods? Any comments? Okay. So we're going to go on to and look at a few ways in which we take the Bible in and this will be a two-parter because next week we'll look at some other ways. But uh, we're going to start today by looking at hearing, reading, and studying God's Word. So those are what this lesson, this series is all about. It's about spiritual disciplines. So here are some spiritual disciplines to ensure that we get the biblical intake we need to grow spiritually. First one is hearing God's Word. We should be regularly sitting under faithful preaching. Preaching is a means of grace ordained by God for his glory, as well as for the good of his people. We see throughout the Bible, God uses public teaching of the word to communicate his truth to his people. Um, right before Israel was crossing the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land, Moses teaches his people about God's past deliverance. That's at the end of Deuteronomy there. 
before he dies. That's, you know, the last thing I want to say to you guys is, this is what God says. Uh, and then we see uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, when the people return from the exile to Babylon, uh, Ezra and the priests come before the people with the word, and they stand up in front of the whole congregation of the Israelites. Nehemiah 8.8 says, They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Um, we know from other passage in, in Ezra 7.10, it says that Ezra determined to study the word of the Lord, to put it into practice, and to teach it in all of Israel. Um, so his preparation, his heart preparation, um, was for that purpose, of that public reading and teaching of the word to the people. And the purpose of that actually was to keep it in front of the people so they never went back to idol worship. We'll see more about that further on. But this pattern continues in the New Testament. Um, Christ uh, uh, speaks to Peter and commands him to feed his sheep. He's referring here to the faithful teaching of the word for spiritual nourishment, for God's people setting that pattern for the future. The apostles set the pattern of preaching the word to the church. So we see in, in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul exhorts Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. The Bible is clear that God so values the preaching of the Word that he actually blesses the church with men who will do just that. Pastors and teachers are called gifts to the church. They're given the tools and the giftings to be teachers. And why? Because they are to equip the church for the work of the ministry and strengthen the body of Christ. Let's look at um, 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. It says there that uh, we are called to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Why do we need this? Um, we've seen that it's for equipping, but it's also because, in verse 3, for time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So as we see here, it's the faithful preaching of the word that keeps us on track spiritually. Alternatively, unfaithful preaching can lead people to wander away from the truth. It makes us think, stop and think how thankful we are that we do have faithful preachers of the word here at UBC. We have many people that are gifted in teaching, that are dedicated to expositional preaching, um, to good standards of encountering the word and uh, articulating that to us so that we can encounter God's word in that way. So I'm always very thankful for that. And I've been to churches where that's not the case. Um, so value that highly. So recognizing that teachers and pastors are gifts to the church will help us to listen to the teaching of the word. 
It will give us hearts that are grateful to God and soft to his truth. It encourages us to discipline ourselves to hear the word regularly and attentively. Luke 11.28 says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And we too would do well to heed this exhortation. Right, I've got a question for you. Having just looked at some of the ways in which we can hear God's word or the, or the, the command to continually hear God's word preached, what are some ways here at UBC we have the advantage to do that? What are some places that we can um, imbibe that teaching? Anybody? Interactive portion. Going to the sermon, Sunday morning service. We call this the main meal, maybe. I don't know. You might not. Uh, but it's, it's like that, that's that feast that we can have of the word where there's a solid, dedicated time where we hear it expositionally taught. What else? Good. Thank you. Yeah, sort of that discipling motif of coming together around the word, one-on-one. Let's go through scripture together and encourage one another with the word as the basis of that relationship. Other ways we can encounter scripture. ABF classes or equipping classes that, again, maybe in a more topical way, take the scripture and make it clear for us so that we can apply it. I'm going to give you a few more. Life groups have just started up. What we do there is go back and look at the sermon that's just been preached and challenge one another, ask questions about it together. Um, And then think about sort of the recordings, the podcasts that we have. We can't go to every ABF at once, but they are recorded. So, you know, you're driving to work or going for a run, put that podcast on and you can catch up with all the rest of the teachings that are available. Um, Don't just think of it as a Sunday activity. Think of it as an all-the-time activity, hearing that word of God. So with all of these these options for us to hear the word, let us be active and attentive listeners. Uh, Let's not be passive listeners. Let us come and hear to hear the word with eager anticipation and let us ask God to his, apply his word to our hearts and that we may grow in holiness and be transformed as we listen. Next spiritual discipline is reading God's word. Knowing the value of God's word and the sufficiency of God's words should motivate us to read it regularly. Jesus often asked, have you not read? Or have you not read the law in the law? He's talking to the people of God, supposedly, uh, when he asked these questions. And his assumption was that because they had the word of God, that they were reading it and knew it. Matthew 22, 31 to 33, he says to the religious teachers, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read... What was said to you by God, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Uh, I'm 
in presuming that these are Sadducees, so they did not believe in the afterlife, that they were supposedly well read in Scripture, but God, Jesus is saying, here's what the Bible says, you should know this. So we know two things, that A, he, that Jesus expected people to read the word, but also he himself was a reader and diligent student of the word. I mean, it's his own word, so... But he knew those scriptures well. He would say, it is written to introduce uh, a lot of what he wanted to say. Um, he would use scripture in his answers to accusers and testers. A big example of this, of course, is the temptation in the wilderness when he's tempted by Satan. And all of his answers were predicated by, it is written. And you see that he actually takes... Satan's proof texting and he takes those scriptures and he throws them back at Satan in the right context, using them well. So we should follow Jesus' example. When temptation comes in our lives, we can use the word to combat it. We should be regularly steeping ourselves in God's word so that when questions arise, like I don't know what I'm doing in this situation, or if discouragement sets in, or if sin comes knocking, or even maybe a friend comes to us with, with need of truth in their life, um, or maybe we have an opportunity to share the gospel at any moment, we should be ready. Maybe if our spirits grow weak, or if we get frustrated in life, um, and we forget about God's promises, or if we find ourselves desperately in need of grace because of sin, all of these are real-life situations that can happen to us at any time. What we need to do is meet them with the true assurances, promises, commands, and reproofs, and encouragements from God's Word. It's all in there. That's why it's called sufficient. The Bible is sufficient because there is an answer for all of these situations in the Word. The more we know it, the more we're able to lean on it in these moments. But if you're like me and you do fully intend to read the Bible um, and you, you, know, you have that desire and that need to read the Bible, sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes you can't find uh, consistency in scriptural reading. So uh, a couple of tips there is that we need to find the time and also find a reading plan that works for you. We should exercise the discipline to set aside time every day to read God's word. Don't just leave it up to the chance. I might have time. Be deliberate about it. Some people have a fixed time every day. If you're sort of a routine person. So you can be consistent in your reading. But either way, strive, strive to build a habit of regular Bible reading and pray that God will help you be disciplined in it. I have a, a young chap right here who often, I know he's awake because I see the light under his door on and he's sitting there in his bed first thing and he's got the scripture open in front of him reading the Bible before he gets up. It encourages me greatly. It's a good Father's Day present. <clears throat> 
So just think, if you were to read the Bible 15 minutes each day, you'd get through the whole Bible in a year. Which is a good, good goal. The more times you go through it, the better it is. Uh, and the Bible is inexhaustible in what it has to teach us about God and ourselves and the world he's made. We are fools if we think that because we've already read it one time or two times, we don't really need to read it anymore. It's living and active, remember. Each time we come to it, we can see and understand something new about God or ourselves in relation to him. So you find many times that your daily reading will happen to speak to you about a situation you're going through right there and then. So do not weary in this kind of well-doing because your life will be poorer for it. Keep up with that word in front of your eyes and therefore into your hearts. Next discipline we want to talk about is studying God's word. Any questions about um, hearing or reading God's word before we move on to studying? Or comments? Okay. So studying God's word. Many of us have heard those encouragements, including mine, just now to listen to preaching or to read the Bible devotionally. And we hear those on a regular basis. And these are critical spiritual disciplines. But I want to ask how many of us have been regularly encouraged on the spiritual discipline of personal Bible study? How ingrained has that become in our exhortation? The fact is, the command to study the Bible for ourselves is more clearly taught than the simple reading of Scripture. Reading of the Bible gives us some familiarity with the Scripture, but it really only scratches the surface of its meaning. The Bible is vast, complex, deeply meaningful, layered, but it is a perfect communication from the Almighty God from which we can glean everything we need for life and godliness. It is an interwoven meta-narrative written by multiple authors over thousands of years, but it brings to us God's revealed answer to life, the universe, and everything, which is not 42. Some of you might get that reference. <clears throat> it, believe me, it does take some effort to study the, the word, but it is worth it. Studying, a, studying the word gives us a depth of understanding that is required for us to grow in maturity. Look at the commendations the Bereans received for taking the opportunity and responsibility to search the scriptures to see if what even the Apostle Paul was teaching was in line with the truth. It says, Now these Jews, the Berean Jews, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if what all was teaching was true. So if we search the word in this way, with eagerness, we are called noble. Are you like the Bereans in this regard? Do you exercise your hearts and mind to ponder scripture? Are we careful to examine all the things we hear in light of God's word? We need you to, just to let you know. All of us need each other to. 
So some of the reasons why we uh, study God's word, uh, first one is because we're commanded to do our best to. 2 Timothy 2.15 is not just noble, it also we do this study out of obedience to a command. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So not only are we commanded to study the word, we are to do so according to our best. Do you do your best to study the word? Have you studied the Bible for yourself ever or recently? Just notice this, though. It doesn't say that you have to be of brilliant intellect to study the Bible. It just says you have to do your best with what God has given you to do so. From the simplest to the most intellectual of minds, it's just a command to do our best to study. And don't worry, he will give you that uh, desire and that ability to do so. The Holy Spirit will help us. For Another reason for studying the Bible is so we can mature in the faith. There are a couple of, there are many passages, I'll highlight a couple, which talks about how Bible study will help us continue to grow in maturity. It'll help us grow from spiritual infancy to that maturity that we see spoken of. It'll help us grow in discernment and so that we can tell the truth from the philosophies of the world. Let's look at Hebrews 5, 11 to 6, 3. It says, about this, he's referring to the previous passage where he's talking about the Midrash of Melchizedek, a fairly complex subject. He wanted to teach them about it, but, you know, he has said he has much to say about it, but it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers of the word, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You still need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, from dead, uh, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washing, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do so if God permits. So we see that transition from the milk to the meat to help us to grow. It's also part of how we are no longer conformed to this world, how we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and how we t test to discern God's will. Romans 12.2 So studying the word is a key element in growing spiritu spirituality. In, you know, in growing spiritually. But, as we will see in the next point, it shouldn't be a drudgery for us. So the next point about um, studying God's word is that we should do so with zeal, with excitement, and maybe a more modern term. Um, God is pleased when we delight in his word and when we have a fervent desire to study it. As Christians... We should be characterized by a love of God's word. 
Ask yourself, is your zeal for the word flagging? Why don't you go ahead, if that's the case, and ask God to revive your hearts with a love for his word. He is the one who enables us to exclaim, as, in, as the psalmist in what Psalm 1997 says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. This kind of love is a sign of a new birth. For a Christian, spending time in Scripture is a joy. It's not a way to please God, but a way to discover more about our loving Heavenly Father. Perhaps a lack of desire to consistently spend time in the Word could be a sign that we are not regenerate, that regeneration has not occurred, or maybe even the unconfessed sin looks hiding in the background. A quote that, uh, that Dan sent me I thought was particularly helpful here. It says, either sin will keep us from God's word or God's word will keep us from sin. Thank you for sending that to me, Dan. <laughs> so study the word with joy and zeal. Especially I think this is important in a church that is congregationally led, like here at UBC. We need to be zealous to know the word so that when we direct and make decisions for the spiritual direction of the church, it can be informed by, informed by a thorough knowledge of the Bible and not our own opinion. When we bring things together, we need to encourage one another with the word and not just what we think off the top of our head. <clears throat> Right, practical time. So you may not be experienced in studying scripture. You may not have been to seminary. Um, some have here, but most people have not. And that's okay. There are ways to study the scripture where you don't need a seminary degree. There are techniques that we can use that anybody can use to study the word. So don't be overwhelmed or discouraged that studying is such a big, mighty task that anybody uh, can't do it. But that's not true. If the command is there in Scripture, he will provide a way. So I'm just going to give you a few tips on how we should approach Scripture in the few minutes that we have left. So if you want to take notes, here's a few good questions to ask yourself when you carve out time to study the Bible. And I, just recommendation, if you ask carving out time... To study the Bible, you're going to need at least an hour. So, um, just, I don't know how good everyone is at scheduling their time, but you're going to need at least an hour. Um, so, first question to ask is, what does the text say? Seems simple, right? Most of the time, Scripture, the text stands for itself. It has a plain meaning. Read it through a few times Absorb the obvious sense of what the passage is saying. Make careful observations of the text. Note the details within the words of the text. There's nothing wasted in Scripture. Every single word is inspired. Think of that. Think of this. God chose only 66 books to reveal everything he wanted to say to us. It's not that... I mean, it's not like sort of Lord of the Rings where it's like, you know, this white is, you know, that big. 
So he had to pack a lot in, which means every single word is important and inspired. Take note of those words. Ask yourself, what does that text say? Before you start trying to even interpret it, make sure you understand the words. So the next question is sort of in line more of that interpretation is, what does the text mean? Different from say, mean. What does it mean? Remember, God wants us to learn something specific from the text. The meaning does not live with our own perception of it. Truth is not subjectively discerned, but objectively taught to us from the Holy Spirit. We don't impose our own meaning on it. We learn from it. First, we should ask what God's intended meaning is before we decide what it means to us as individuals. So a few things you can do to discern the meaning are identify the, re- the genre of writing that it's in. Is this an epistle that commands the church? Or is it a wis- piece of wisdom literature that speaks about life from God's perspective? Just ask some of those questions. Also, original languages are helpful. There's lots of tools to look at the Greek and the Hebrew. What did it mean in the original language? Look at the overall intent of the passage. What are we trying to get across in totality? Understand what the words mean in their immediate context. Sometimes words can be repeated and somewhat ambiguous until you read it within the context of the passage. And then the passage itself, pay attention to the context of where that passage lies in relation to the rest of the scripture around it. You can't just pull it out and make it mean what you want. It has to be aligned to the rest of what the author is trying to get at. Which brings us to the next point. What was the author addressing? The Bible is written by people to people to address certain things that were going on at that specific time. This is the unique way in which God chose to reveal his truth to us. But we are given the task of peeling back those layers of time and culture so that we can accurately recontextualize the Bible and its meaning for us now. There's a wrong way to recontextualize, but there's a right way to do it too. Here's some tips on how to do that. First, identify the historical and cultural context and background. What's going on in history? What kind of things did the audience understand in those days? Identify the objective of the author to the specific audience. What did it mean to them? Kind of perceive the impact of those words on the audience themselves. What kind, what kind of thoughts will have been prompted by those words? Uh, what examples are being used that may be difficult for us to understand in our day? How do we understand that they understood it in their day? Very obscure examples sometimes, but they weren't obscure to the original recipients of Scripture. So let's try and understand it from their perspective. Only then can we kind of see how it applies to us. Use multiple tools. A lot of work has already been done and it's good work. Ask some people who know what are good study Bibles, what are good commentaries, what are good Bible dictionaries, lexicons, concordances. There are a lot of tools out there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, thankfully. We have no excuse these days. We have a plethora of of resources available to help us in study. So make use of them. 
Uh, another important uh, question to ask is, where does this fit in the overall story of salvation history? Let's understand the text we're studying in light of the whole Bible. We should never come to an interpretive conclusion that is outside the whole story of Scripture itself and the gospel message. So lo locate the text in redemptive history. How, does this, how is this a building block towards the overall story of redemption? Discern how the passage itself points us to Christ. To Christ as, as himself, but also in which coming that it's pointing to. Is it talking about his first coming as the sacrifice or as a second coming as a conquering king? Sometimes it's both. So look at that, the overall picture. So once we've done that, um, we can ask the question now, what does it mean to me? Understand yourself in light of Scripture. What does it say about me, not to me, sometimes is a good question to ask. How does it show me in light of, from God's perspective? Distill timeless principles from the text. What does it say to all people? You know, there's a general sense in which it teaches us about humankind. Understand what the text teaches about God, us about God's character, his purposes, um, mankind as a whole, Christ, our response to Christ, our obedience, what it teaches us about the church and the world and our place in it. So kind of look at those larger themes and motifs as you're looking at your passage. And then um, you can extrapolate from that how you apply it within those larger themes. And then ask, how should I respond to the truth? What specifically does God require of me? Where and in what specific situations do I need to apply the truths of Scripture, of this text? How does the text encourage me to obey God? How does God enable me to respond to the truths of the text? And then it's not all just about me. Right? We tend to be individualistic. It's all about me. Another question we can ask is, how do I spur others to respond to the truth of the text? And that there is also a sign of spiritual maturity is that outwardly focused desire to teach and disciple others with Scripture as its basis. So um, there's a lot more around Bible study. I can't cover it all in five minutes. So if you're more interested in learning how to study your Bible, uh, please talk to me afterwards or, um, or any of our elders or teachers here. We'd be happy to go a little bit more in depth and study Bible study techniques. So just to close up here, um, today we've only focused on three of the spiritual disciplines we're going to cover in this series. This is the first part of the picture that reveals to us the importance of regular Bible intake. If you haven't started hearing, reading, and studying the Bible, start now. You may not know how to do all of it at first, but if you begin here with these spiritual disciplines, you will be rewarded as you see God's hand in his record of himself, in salvation history, and you'll become to be amazed at how the Holy Spirit brings fruit from it in your own life.
Next week, as we do Bible Intake 2, Greg will lead us through uh, memorization of Scripture, meditating on Scripture, journaling, and learning God's Word. So we'll learn all those wonderful truths as well. Um, I have some questions for application down below. Um, I'd like you to think through those. I apologize we're out of time. I, I would have liked to open up some of those questions, but uh, we don't have time today. But uh, please look at those and take them to heart. I personally believe that Bible intake is critically important in regards to spiritual growth and maturity. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have not kept us guessing, but you have revealed yourself to us. That You have given us the truth. We don't need to walk around in confusion as to, to what to do, how to please you, what you've done for us, what kind of God you are. We know it because we have your word. Lord, help us become disciplined to increase our Bible intake so that we can bear fruit uh, in keeping with repentance. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.